0: to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we're in a series in John's Gospel right now called Life Full and Unending. We're looking at some of Jesus's most precious promises about life and eternity. Now, today's message deals with grief and hope in the face of death. But those aren't themes that we're all that comfortable discussing. I read of a sixth generation funeral director named Caleb Wilde, who became famous for a TED talk that he did. He said this, we don't like to talk about the inevitable. Our screens are filled with zombies, and yet speaking frankly about death is seen as morbid or unhealthy. That's strange, isn't it? We're more comfortable than ever before in seeing the most gruesome deaths imaginable on screen And yet we probably have fewer real conversations about dying and death than we've ever had. Julia Louis-Dreyfus agrees. She said, we walk through our lives so oblivious to the fact that our lives are going to end. We really don't consider that ever, almost ever. Now in her case, she was forced to consider the inevitable. In 2016, her father died. The following year she was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. Then the year after that, her half-sister died of a drug overdose. She admitted she hated being forced to think about death. She said, there's that moment that you have when you're like, is this it for me? And then she added, you know, everybody here in this room is gonna come across that moment in their life, but you never think you will. Today, The nature of my work means that I think about death pretty often. But there was a time when my attitude was almost exactly the way that Julia Louis-Dreyfus described it. I avoided thinking about death and pretended that it was just something that happened to other people. I think I did that because I didn't have an answer for death. Death meant the the end of everything I cared about. And honestly, I wasn't ready to consider what might come next. I don't feel that way anymore. And today's passage is one of the reasons for that. It shows me how Jesus answers death and what I can do to face the end with confidence. I want you to have that confidence. So turn with me to John's Gospel in chapter 11, and I'll start reading at verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at John 11, verse 17. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. This is the Word of God. Now, the first thing I learn here about facing death with confidence is to trust in Jesus' hope. Vague thoughts about the afterlife are a form of denial. And living as if we'll always keep on living only makes the inevitable more painful when we're forced to confront it. To face death with confidence, we need to trust in Jesus's hope. Now when the scene opens, Jesus has just finished the four day journey from the north where he was ministering with his disciples. Martha rushes out to greet Jesus. But there's some awkwardness between them as she does. She has a deep love and respect for Jesus. But when she and her sister sent word to him that Lazarus was ill, he delayed his return by two days. After asking themselves countless times, where is he? Their question had slowly turned to, where was he? It's been painful and frustrating. Now that she sees him, she tries to say something polite. In verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's as if she's saying, don't worry, Jesus, I haven't lost the faith. I still believe that you're a powerful healer. Lazarus died, but it was a logistics problem. You just couldn't be here. Of course, if you could have been here, I know you would have healed him. In verse 22, she adds, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And we're tempted to interpret this as faith that Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. But everything in what follows that shows that that's the last thing on our mind. Again, she's just filling the air with some words that sound spiritual and respectful because it's awkward to meet someone who could have helped you but didn't get back fast enough to do so. When Jesus responds, he does nothing to relieve the social discomfort of the meeting. There's no apology. He didn't didn't say, oh, I'm really sorry for not rushing there sooner. And that's because his delay was deliberate. Instead, he offers hope. In verse 23, he says, your brother will rise again. But Martha misunderstands his meaning. She assumes that Jesus is talking about the final resurrection. With the exception of the more liberal Sadducee sect, most Jews in the first century believed that God would raise people from the dead on the final day, either to heaven or to hell. So Martha has a vague belief in the afterlife. And maybe you do too. But Jesus wants us to have more than that. We need more clarity. Vague thoughts do us little good. In verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is one of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in John's Gospel. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, it's more than just saying he gives the resurrection and the life. It's more like Jeff Bezos saying, I am Amazon, or Elon Musk saying, I am Tesla. Now, in both of those instances, their board of directors would probably object. But with Jesus, he's making a claim that is neither proud nor overstated. Resurrection and life are so closely tied to Jesus Christ that without him, neither would would exist. He holds ultimate authority and power over them. And he offers both resurrection and life to whoever believes in him. Do you have that kind of faith in Jesus? One way to test whether you really believe in Jesus as the resurrection is whether you believe in Jesus as the life. By now you probably know that the word for life here means fullness of life, not just a pulse. Do you believe that Jesus really defines how to really live? Do you believe that following him is the path to the greatest life you could ever live? Many people's faith is more like, I'll let Jesus be the resurrection, but I'm living the life. We want to be in charge of our lives now, but still expect Jesus to come in at the 11th hour to rescue us. But that's not how faith works. Genuine faith trusts in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And leaning into that hope gives a person confidence in the face of death. Now, another way you can see if you have this kind of faith is whether you only find comfort in Jesus as your great physician or also as your resurrection? Does it feel like you're getting ripped off if you only get a resurrection? (laughs) Does the reality of the resurrection that Jesus promises give you real hope? When Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? That's what he's getting at. Do you have that kind of trust in Jesus? If you don't, you'll avoid thinking about death or talking about death, and you ultimately won't be prepared for death. Only ever looking to Jesus as your physician ignores who he really is. Trust in him as your resurrection. Lean into his resurrection hope. Now, many of you do trust in Jesus' hope. You look to him as the resurrection and the life, but as important as that is, I actually don't think that's enough to face death with confidence. Cold, hard promises provide comfort, but it's cold comfort. It can feel like dry comfort. In addition to trusting in Jesus's hope, you also need to receive Jesus's compassion. We need to do more than just believe the truth that Jesus gives. We also need to feel the emotion that Jesus shares. To face death with confidence, We need to receive the compassion of Jesus. Now watch how this gets played out in verses 32 to 36. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. Now this is an interesting exchange because Mary opens with the exact same line that Martha used in verse 21 when she first saw Jesus it's as if they had been reassuring each other while they were waiting for Jesus, saying, of course, if Jesus was here, he would have healed Lazarus. This time, though, Jesus' response is different. There's no sermon on faith. There's no announcement that he's the resurrection. Instead, when Jesus sees her tears and the others weeping alongside her, it just says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This is unexpected because we saw last week that he said that he was glad that he wasn't there when Lazarus died so that the disciples would believe. But here he's deeply moved and greatly troubled. And most commentators feel that this is actually a poor translation. (laughs) Deeply moved sounds like how you feel when you watch a sentimental movie. I don't know why, but I'm a complete sucker for any story with a really inspirational or romantic or emotional ending. I was flipping through the channels and I stopped for some reason at one of these cheesy lifetime movies, and someone was making a speech about saving the town or something. It was like the last 15 minutes of a poorly made movie, and I'm about two minutes into the speech, and Jennifer walks in and I'm crying, and she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, it's probably just something in my eyes. (laughs) Anyway, you might read this and think, Jesus was deeply moved. And you might think, yeah, it's like that. It's like what it's like when you see this um, moving movie. But it's not. That's not what's happening here. In fact, the, the New Living Translation may actually give the best rendering of this phrase. It says, a deep anger welled up within him. That's what Jesus is feeling, deep anger. Let me try to explain why. In first century Jewish funeral tradition, even the poorest families were expected to hire at least two flautists and a professional wailer. A woman would come in who would would rile up the the mourners and help them to feel the emotion of the moment by crying out in in great mourning. The flautists would play some very sad music. The wailer would stir up the emotion among the mourners. And that was just with a poor family. But Lazarus and his sisters were anything but poor. They could have afforded a far more extensive funeral procession. So there's a sad dirge playing, crowd of people are sobbing, the hired mourners are wailing. And Jesus sees it all, takes it in, and he's filled with Anger at the ugliness of death. Even though he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead at this and in, in just a, a few moments, at this moment, as he sees the pain that death causes, he's angered by it. He shares our outrage at the suffering that death brings. Even though he's rooted in the promises of resurrection and eternal life, he still feels the pain of separation. In verse 35, we have the famous two-word verse that just says, Jesus wept. And the people who were there saw his tears and the depth of his emotions, and they just said, see how he loved him. Cold, hard promises aren't enough to face something as overwhelming as death. But when you trust in Jesus, you can know that he ministers to you in compassion. He feels your loss. He enters into your great grief. He even shares your anger. He's with you at every stage of your grief. By faith, you can receive his compassion. By faith, you can say, I know that Jesus feels this right now. He knows the pain that I'm going through. And so I know that I'm not alone. Can you say that? If you can't, it's hard not to live in denial about death or suffering. When you receive the compassion of Jesus by faith though, you can face death with confidence. You can lean into some of the trials of life with greater courage. But even hope and compassion aren't enough. By faith, we need to anticipate Jesus's power. Because often we can waver between faith and unbelief. We say that we believe, but in the moment, we're not so confident. We can assent to something in our heads, but we don't really feel it in our hearts. To face death with confidence, we need to anticipate Jesus's power. Let's pick up the story at verse 39, and I'll read down to verse 44. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now Martha faces a rubber meets the road moment in verse 39. And sooner or later, we all do. She's already given the right answers when Jesus questioned her faith earlier. But now he asks her to act on her faith. But when Jesus says, Take away the stone. She protests. She's worried that the smell of his dead body will be too much, as if Jesus hadn't thought of that. Watch what's happening. She's declared Jesus as the Christ, the promised savior. She's declared Jesus as the son of God. She's declared Jesus as the one who is to come into the world. She has all the right answers on paper. But when Jesus asks her to do something unexpected, she assumes that she knows better than him. Ever do that? Some people misunderstand faith. Either they confuse it with just knowing the right answers or they equate it with positive thinking. They decide how they want God to act and they call it faith because they're really confident in their own plan. But that's not biblical faith. Faith is taking away the stone because it's Jesus telling you to do it. Faith is acting on his wisdom instead of your own logic. Faith is trusting in his plan, not yours. Taking away the stone from Lazarus's grave sounded like a terrible idea. It was liable to traumatize the mourners. The only reason to do something so reckless was that it was Jesus telling them to but that's good enough reason for a true follower of Christ. In the end, they removed the stone. Jesus prayed, and then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And as he did, Lazarus walked out of the grave. It was an incredible miracle. But it was a sign, not a solution. Lazarus would eventually die again, and so would Martha and Mary, all of the other people there at the funeral. But this resurrection demonstrated Jesus' power over death. It showed that Jesus is, in fact, the resurrection and the life. Proved that Jesus had promised in John chapter 6, verse 40. That's where Jesus says, Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Have you put your trust in Jesus as the one who holds the power over death? Do you believe in him as your power for resurrection? Look to him, believe in him. Don't be satisfied with vague thoughts about the afterlife. Jesus gives eternal life to those who trust him as their Lord and savior. Do that today. On the cross, he died the death that we deserved so that we can live with him forever. Trust in him as the life, as the one who gives life and shows us how to really live. Trust in him as the resurrection, as the one who raises his followers to live with him after we've died in this world. If you're struggling to see how this makes a real difference, let me assure you that it does. When you've seen the difference it makes in the life of someone who faces death with a conviction that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it changes you. Beryl was a woman for whom these promises were as real as a stool I'm sitting on. When she received the terminal cancer diagnosis, her first response was to share her faith with her doctor. (laughs) More than fret about the end of her life, she was more concerned that her physician Know the one who holds the power of life and death. Once when she wrongly thought that her end had come, she's looking up to heaven saying, I'm coming, Jesus. (laughs) Meanwhile, the poor EMT was on the driveway trying to get her into the ambulance. (laughs) Beryl showed me how leaning into the hope and the compassion and the power that Jesus offers can give someone confidence and even joy in the face of death. And it gives a person the freedom to make the most of their final weeks and days. It allows someone to have the important conversations instead of being preoccupied, trying to avoid or deny what comes next. I want that for all of us. So if you haven't already, accept Jesus' invitation to believe. Put your trust in him today. If you have trusted in him, then show that trust through your confidence in the face of death. Don't walk through life oblivious to the fact that this life is going to end. We ought ought to live in light of the life to come, not in denial of it. Let me challenge every one of you who believes in Jesus to have a frank conversation about death with someone you know. What are you not ready for? What scares you? Where do you still wanna prepare? What gives you hope? What gives you confidence? Believers can talk about these things and lay hold of the hope of resurrection. Don't just hope in Jesus as your physician. The ways that He extends our life in this world, those are just tokens of His mercy. The real miracle is the resurrection. That's what everything is leading to. That's where our hope is. We believe that there are some sicknesses in this life that God won't heal. And that's not because he doesn't care. It's because he's preparing a greater healing for us in the resurrection. Make that your ultimate hope. And don't just hold on to cold promises. Cold promises give cold comfort. Lean into the compassion of Jesus. If he gets angry at the pain that sin causes then you can too. If he could weep at the death of a friend he was about to resurrect minutes later, then surely we can feel the emotion of a painful separation. We can allow ourselves to feel the sadness of our loss without denying the reality of our hope. Know that Jesus is with you when you grieve. He feels your pain and shares your loss. You're not alone. And live with the expectation of his power. Trusting him like this means that we move the stone when he tells us to. It means accepting that he knows what he's doing. Trusting that his plan is good even when we can't understand it. George Herbert once wrote, Death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Let the good news of Jesus saturate your thoughts of death and give you hope to face it with confidence, because glory and Jesus' warm embrace await on the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit that we don't often like to talk about death. We don't like to think about it. But because Jesus has power over death, We can face it with confidence. Help us to lean into those promises. Help us to lean into the promise that Jesus is the resurrection. He's not just our physician. Help us to see that the resurrection that he's promised us, as we trust in him, that that is the greatest miracle. That is our ultimate hope. Father, we pray for for your grace. And give us grace, Father, to lean into your plan, to be the ones who move the stone when you tell us to, to believe that you know what you're doing, even when we can't uh, understand it. And thank you for your compassion Thank you that you feel what we feel and you enter into our pain. Father, for anyone who is listening who does not have this hope, who doesn't have this confidence in the face of death, draw them near. Give them the courage to believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Give them grace to turn to him and find life in his name. For we ask you in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I hope this message has given you confidence in facing death and cleared up some of the vague thoughts we have of the afterlife. I hope you find courage in Jesus's hope, his compassion, and his power. And if you have questions or interest in learning more about how you can put your trust in Jesus, then send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link, and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless, and see you next time.